Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Um, we've been, we just started our series last week on worldview, and we're going to talk about how Christ affects our worldview. So before we start, I want to give you a little Bible study. Um, epistles is a fancy word for occasional letter, so a letter written for an occasion. And in the Bible and the New Testament, there are many epistles. And in those epistles, there is a general pattern. So the epistles typically begin with the indicative of the gospel, and it transitions into the imperatives of the gospel. Another way of saying that is it starts with the reality of the gospel of Jesus, and it transitions into the response to that gospel. No imperative is disconnected from the indicative. No response is disconnected from that reality. Another way of saying this is, intuitively, we all understand that the gospel has a vertical dimension. It addresses a person's relationship to God, a um, person's eternal status before God. But the gospel also addresses the horizontal dimension. It affects how a person relates to the world. And that's what we're going to look at today, the reality of the gospel and the response to the gospel, the vertical and the horizontal dimension. So before we read Philippians 3, let's pray to God and ask for his blessings. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for everything. Thank you that from the beginning of time, you decided and you will to save the world by your son, Jesus. And thousands and thousands and thousands and so many years later, you keep doing the same. You privilege us here to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, to be reminded and in awe of everything that you do and all that you have done. Thank you so much for this great honor. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church and this community. Father, would you bless us, bless the reading and preaching of your word by the Holy Spirit, would you be with those affected by COVID and um, our suffering? Uh, Father, may it please you to bring some relief to them. And Father, for those of us here, would you open our eyes again? Help us to see Jesus and just marvel at him. And may that, may by our looking, may that invoke in us to respond, and to love you. Help us in these ways, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Hear now the word of God. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count 
everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Paul is writing to Christians in Philippi. And in our chapter, in context, you don't see it in the verses here, but in context, he's warning the Christians of these evildoers who believe and advocate that they can earn righteousness before God through their obedience to the law. And he calls them evildoers. They believe they can be righteous enough before God through their obedience. Um, So in context, he's warning them about people who are essentially about themselves, what they can do. And so Paul writes to the Christians and he responds differently than those guys. Paul is all about Christ and what he has done. There's nothing about himself. And if you look at the verses, um, why is Paul so infatuated with Christ? Why is he so heels over head, head over heels for Christ? If you look at verse 7, he says, whatever gain, whatever sort of merit he had according to the law, whatever righteousness he supposedly had, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If you look at verse 8, he says, not only that, but everything he counts as loss in comparison to Christ. And if you look at the end of verse 8, he uses the word rubbish. Um, That's another word for garbage. He not only counts everything as loss, but he counts everything as garbage in comparison to Christ. Why is Paul so uninterested in his gains, in his merit, in his own righteousness, in his everything? Why is he so uninterested? How can he say, how can he count those things as garbage? And Paul's answer is because everything does not even come close to comparing to Christ. How far is everything in comparison to Christ? He counts them as garbage. If you offered Paul a million dollars to compete to Christ, he would choose Christ because that money is garbage in comparison to Christ. 
if you offer Paul a potential wife to compete to Christ, he would choose Christ because that potential wife is garbage compared to Christ. If you offered Paul the entire world and everything it had to offer to compete to Christ, he would choose Christ because the entire world and everything it had to offer is garbage in comparison to Christ. Um, Let me give you a little warning right now before we go on. Let me tell you what I'm not saying. Please, um, married couples, people in relationships, people who have things, um, I'll give you an example of what I'm, what I'm not saying. If you're married, if you're a husband, don't go to your wife after the sermon and say, you are garbage. All right, don't do that. Don't throw away your things because you think they're garbage. I'm saying they are garbage, but in comparison to Christ. I'm not saying they are garbage in them of themselves. Paul's not trying to be, not necessarily trying to be out of the world or of the world. He's in it, but when he's in it, he's all about Christ. It's not because those things are worthless or bad. Some of us here would love to be financially secure. Some of us here would love to have a potential spouse. Some of us would love a lot of things that the world has to offer. It's not because those things are worthless. It's because, in compa- let's say it this way, it's not the worthlessness of those things that he's like this, but it's because of the incomparable worthiness of Christ. It's not because Paul is just weird. It's the object of his affection that is so grand, Christ. he would not hesitate to choose Christ because nothing comes close to comparing to Christ. Is this your understanding of Christ? Do you have a Christ that is worth more than your everything? Because that's the Christ of the Bible. So who is Christ? To Paul, Christ is better than everything. No contest. Better than everything. And this is Paul's response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before we look at the response a little more, let's look at what the reality of the gospel of Jesus is. Um, Look at verse 9 with me. Paul says, Uh, that in order to gain Christ, or he counts everything as rubbish in order to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what's the gospel? Um, Let's just take this past week. And please don't raise your hands. You don't have to answer out loud, but let's just take this past week. Have you once sinned in the past week? 
just once messed up? Have you once told a lie? Have you once lusted? Have you once been sinfully angry? Have you once been lazy? Or the greatest commandment is, have you once not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or the second, have you once not loved your neighbor as yourself? Just once this week. The gospel says that if God were to look at the the record of mankind according to his law, all mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you said, if you had one sin in this past week, then you agree that even in this past week, you've also fallen short. According to God's law, we are offenders, transgressors, sinners, unrighteous. And even if we um, assume, maybe, perhaps, that we obeyed some of God's laws, and maybe we did by God's grace, our obedience does not erase or make up for our disobedience. And we, we know this. Um, let me give you a simple illustration. If you get a speeding ticket one day out of the whole year, your 364 days of driving according to the speed limit does not make up for that one speeding ticket. You have to pay your debt. Now, um, think about God's law. How indebted are you? to God for breaking his law. How will you pay for your sins? Suppose for a moment, think about God. What should God do to a human being who sinned against another human being? What should God do? Now suppose for a moment, what should God do to a human being sinning against God himself? What should he do? This is the predicament we're in. Paul understood this predicament, and that's why he said, He needed to be found in Christ. He needs not having a righteousness of his own that comes through the law or comes from the law, but having the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith. He cannot ever be righteous enough before God Almighty. Never. Not once. He understands this. He needs a perfect righteousness. He needs a righteousness that has never failed once. And he knows that that is found in Christ. So what is the gospel? Um, The gospel of Jesus, and I'm going to say it this way, um, the Bible says it in many different ways, but the gospel of Jesus is that God took the record of the sins of anyone and everyone who believes in Christ 
and he counted that record, those records, to Christ so that Christ is a horrendous sinner in the sight of God. And that's why Christ was horrifically crucified and endured the wrath of God Almighty on behalf of those who believe in Him. And that's not all the gospel offers. The other half of the gospel is God took the perfect record of Christ's righteousness and He counted it to anyone and everyone who believes in Him so that in the sight of God, all believers are justified and declared righteous as having never sinned before, according to record. That legally, forensically, believers are righteous and legally, forensically, Christ is a sinner. Not that Christ has sinned, but according to the record. That's, that's the reality of the gospel of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have his record of righteousness and he took your record of all your sins. And that's why he died. He took the record of all your sins, carried it with him to the cross, and carried it all the way to the grave and buried it. So that in your entire life, God sees you as righteous. And that's what Paul says in verse 9. Not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through in Christ, through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Um, another way of saying this is there is no salvation in anyone else but Christ alone. Paul is not saying salvation, okay, salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is not in Christ plus Paul. Salvation is not in Christ plus yourself. Christ plus another. Christ plus Mary, the mother of Jesus. Salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is not in Christ plus even another apostle because this apostle himself recognizes that he has no righteousness to stand before God. He needs Christ's righteousness alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. And so here's a question. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation or are you trusting in Christ plus another? Christ plus yourself. Christ plus your pastor. Christ plus your parents. Christ plus anyone else. Because none of them have a righteousness sufficient enough. Only Christ alone. He is the one who took your record. And he is the one who gave you his record by faith, through faith. Paul himself understood he needed the perfect righteousness of Christ alone to be justified. Um, so the, the warning is, if you do not have faith in Christ, you do not have his righteousness, and you have the record of your sins still. If you have faith in Christ, 
no matter how you feel, no matter how much you failed, he already took your record and you have his righteousness through faith, simply by believing it. I want to pause here and um, I want us to take a little time to imagine this for a second. Imagine this. Christ was perfect in every way, always. He never once sinned. I want you to imagine how absurd, that's not the right word, but I'm just going to say that it is. According to God's law, Christ was perfect, spotless, without blemish. Just this past week, I got upset over something petty. No, I'm dragging someone kind of cut me off. And it was so petty, but I got upset. And it took a lot of, a lot from me to swallow my pride and to let it go. Maybe you're a little bit familiar with this. Have you ever gotten mad or upset over something petty? And you knew it was absurd. But for some reason, you're so prideful that just takes so much from you to not react sinfully. And maybe you're already reacting sinfully. And it takes so much from you to stop being sinful. Just some, a small offense. Something so small. And maybe it was one day out of the week. I want you to imagine this. Christ, from the moment he was born all the way to the cross, never failed once. Not for one moment. He was perfect all the way, every day, always, according to God's law. Imagine the immense burden he had. And that's what he did. He lived exactly, always, perfectly, sinless, in every way. So that when you look at his legal standing before God, he is perfectly righteous. And the crazy thing is he willingly gave up his record of perfection for sinners who would believe in him. And he willingly took the record of sins from those sinners who would believe in him. This is the gospel which costed Jesus everything. And this is the same gospel which is offered to you freely if you would just receive it through faith, through believing. No wonder Paul, the chief of sinners, is so intense for Christ. That was the reality of the gospel. Now let's look at the response to the gospel. What is Paul's response? Let's look at verses 10 through 11. Paul says that he may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's response is that Paul wants Christ in every way above everything. 
because apart from his gospel, apart from this reality, he would be destitute. Christ is better than everything. He must have Christ no matter what. You can give Paul the world, but without Christ, he is bankrupt. He must have him in every way. How much does Paul desire Christ according to our verses? Paul would do anything to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What did Christ suffer like? Paul wants to know. What was the power of Christ's resurrection like? Paul wants to know. Even suffering and death are not obstacles for Paul to know Christ. Suffering and death are opportunities for Paul to know Christ. Isn't that crazy? They are means to attain the power of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Paul not only wants Christ, but Paul also wants to be like Christ. Paul wants to know Christ in his suffering. Paul wants to know Christ in his death. Paul wants to know Christ in his resurrection. Paul wants to know Christ in every way above everything. And this is his response to the gospel of Jesus. Do you also want to know Christ in every way? Um, this may seem kind of like a weird response, but we do this with people and things um, we're fond about. Uh, let's say you have a dog, and the dog looks out the window. Sometimes we're like, I wonder what the dog is thinking about, Right? I just want to know my dog's thoughts. I wonder what my significant other likes to do for fun or what he or she does alone when they're bored. I wonder what LeBron's training regimen is like because I want to I wanna be that good too. We do this with things we're fond about, with people we admire, adore, how much more so should we do this with Christ? This is how Paul responded to the gospel of Jesus. He wanted Christ in every way above everything. It's, it's not too peculiar for us. So for the rest of our time together, I want to talk about a principle broadly and its application. Um, it's how does the gospel impact how you relate to the world? I think we can see this by seeing how it impacts how Paul relates to the world. Long story short, he holds the world loosely so that he may hold Christ tightly. That's his response. He holds the world loosely so that he may hold Christ tightly. Is there something in your life that you are holding on to too tightly, that it's serving to make you hold Christ loosely. What is it that you want so badly that you are putting Christ in the back seat? Because whatever that is, Christ is better still. 
even if the whole world were offered to you, Christ is better still. So let's talk about the application. Um, I'm a, I want to end with three quick things. Um, but the first thing is, I want to talk about the importance of that order. What, in my experience, um, when talking with people, this is what happens. They intellectually agree, as a Christian, that Christ is better. But they are quick to desert Christ. I'll give you an example. Yes, I know Christ saved me from my sins. I know, but what if I sin like all the time and I keep doing it over and over and over again? Do you see that the thought is more about the sins than more about Christ? It's super important that you start and end with Christ above everything. Super important. Yeah, I know Christ, and I know, I know that I should love my husband, but how do I do that? Deserting Christ. The order is important. You don't start with the response to the gospel and then go to the reality. You start with the reality, and then you go to the response. Um, I'm going to give you another example on that first point. Why is the vertical relationship so important? Because if you don't have it, then you have no standing for your horizontal relationship. Let me talk about what Apostle Peter said for wives. Wives, let's pretend that you have a husband who is ungodly in every way and doesn't care about God. What, what Peter told the wives was, you adorn yourselves with the inward beauty, the quiet and gentle spirit. And then you can imagine the wife saying, what? Like, I got I to gotta, I gotta be respectful. And what, what about my husband? And Peter says, you adorn yourself. You live in a lifestyle fearing God. But that's so unfair. What about my husband? That is the question that happens if she did not have a relationship with God. Because there is no other relationship then. The highest relationship is her husband's. No wonder it's so hard. But what if she had a relationship with Christ? Even if my husband fails, I know my husband in eternity will never fail. I know that this husband is not Christ. He's not what I'm ultimately looking for. I can live with him in such a way that I love him. I love him so much and I can live with him in such a way that I give him grace because I know that Christ has given grace to me. My husband may fail me, but I have failed Christ a thousand times more. See, the vertical relationship is important. It cannot be dismissed or you have nothing to stand on when it comes to your horizontal one. So, more about Christ, less about your circumstances. More about Christ, less about your sins. More about Christ, less about your righteousness. More about Christ, less about your husband's failings or your wife's failings or your failings or your children. They have a place. 
They're very important. They're very important topics to address. But remember the general pattern of the epistles? It starts with Christ. It starts with the gospel. If you don't start there, then how will you deal with the rest? How will you have the grace and the power you need to give grace to others? You need to start with Christ. He is the highest priority. Christ is worth the fight. Christ is worth enduring suffering. Christ is worth inconvenience. Christ is worth the time because Christ is far better than anything I have and everything that I have. And Apostle Paul knew this. That's the first thing. The second thing, um, I've, we've said this a lot of times, but we, we repeat it because it's important. The ordinary ways for you to know Christ is read your Bible, pray, worship, partake of the sacraments, although we're not doing them right now because of COVID, have fellowship with believers so that your company could point you to Christ. Those are the ordinary ways because Christ is so obvious in those things. If you don't have those ordinary ways, it's like you're running on empty. And you're just going to be stuck. I actually want to make a challenge to none of you here. The live stream. Uh, I challenge the people in the live stream to come join in-person service insofar as you can, not against your conscience. So because the worship of God, the worship of God with his people is important. So if you want to join and you need a way to join, please talk to us. We will try to accommodate you insofar as we can. And if you exhausted every means possible and you can't, then it's totally fine. But Christ is more important. All right. Here's the third point. I understand that this principle is fairly broad. So I think the most effective way in your life, if you want to apply this more specifically, is to talk to the church. Talk to those who love Christ. Talk to those who've been veterans. We have so many veterans in this church, old people who've been walking with Christ all the time. Um, when I go to morning prayer, I'm not going to say this person's name, but there's this one lady who prays for like an hour and a half all the time. Man, she is a woman you can get good advice from. You can go talk to the pastors. You can go talk to any of the church members here. You can go refer to the Bible. But don't let anything stop you from gaining Christ. Make it happen. I'll give you one more example. Um, the Bible has such a vast horizontal dimension. It addresses, I'll give you a brief list of the uh, topics it addresses. It talks about how husbands treat their wives, how wives treat their husbands, how parents treat their children, how children treat their parents, 
how masters treat their slaves, how slaves treat their masters, how authorities treat their citizens, how citizens treat their authorities, how you should love God with everything you have, how you should love your neighbor as yourself, how you should respond in certain situations that seem grave. It talks about everything. But all of these things start with Christ. And um, I want to say one thing I'm not saying. Um, I'm a sinner, like you guys, and I understand that there are some things that are just very, very difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but what I am saying is Christ is better still. Christ is worth fighting against that sin. Do whatever you got to do. If you can't do it yourself, get help. The first place you should start, the thing I've been talking about most, is just look at him. Look at him. Read your Bible. Make a plan. Make it happen. Because Christ is so far grand that he does not deserve to be in the backseat he, he is someone you do not want to miss out on. And you know this because look at what he has already done. He's the, the best news that people will ever come to know. The Son of God coming down, the Word incarnate from his heaven and life to live a life on earth, to live a perfect life every moment, to die on the cross to die a death he didn't deserve, to be buried, and then to resurrect and ascend and to still intercede. Why? What did he do it for? Out of his mere pleasure for the glory of God to save sinners and to bring sinners into the presence of God forever. What can beat Christ? Nothing. No one. Let's return to him and remember him because Christ is better than everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a wonderful thing you have done. There is no better than Christ. There is nothing that even comes close to Him. And Father, we confess that at times our eyes wander and we lose sight of His glory and grace. Father, would you convict us of your word? Would you help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to love Him with everything? And not only love him, but in so doing, that we will find our ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in him. That we, like the Apostle Paul, can say that we count everything as rubbish, not because they are worthless, but because Christ is far more worthy. Thank you so much. I pray for those here that maybe have heard the word, and maybe they want to take their first step, 
I pray, Father, that you would help them and that they would not lose their conviction or that there's their zeal or desire for Christ, but that you would enable them and empower them. Thank you so much. We come here to worship you, and may you be worshiped with all of our vigor at this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.